1: Kate Fairman is a member of the New South Wales Legislative Council and uh, a member of the Greens. She was the chair of the recent New South Wales parliamentary inquiry into the koala populations and speaks to us today just after the coalition that came under threat from the National Party over the issue of koala protection. Kate Fairman, thank you very much for joining Environmental as Anything today. Again.
2: Pleasure. Thanks for having me on the program again.
1: Always a pleasure. Um, The recent New South Wales parliamentary inquiry into koala populations found that our koalas are heading for extinction by 2050 under business as usual. John Barilaro and the National Party have been attempting to bully the New South Wales Premier to nobble the new koala protection regulations, State Environmental Planning Policy, SEP. So it doesn't... uh, you know, They they want to bully them into making sure that it doesn't apply to rural development and logging effectively. They've they failed today. Do you think that they may yet ultimately succeed in this goal?
2: Oh, well, I mean, let's, I think one of the most ridiculous things of all of this to begin with is you would think that these changes to the planning policy were going to uh, stop any more potential koala habitats or call koala habitat being cleared in New South Wales, yeah. and clearly that's not the case. But um, unfortunately, because of what has happened in recent days, I think much of the public think that the government has finally, you know, pulled out, pulled out everything and and said, uh, here we go, we're going to protect koala habitat. Uh, so, but you're right. At the very beginning, you said for our developers and for loggers, largely, and that's what. Uh, these this um, you know planning policy was all about, so I think that what i 've heard I think the national party uh, will continue to make noises, but it certainly has been a bit of a slap down for uh Barilaro, you know barillaro zero koalas or blinky one you know which is uh really good and it and you know it, what 've demonstrated is that koalas are you know they 're actually um uh, very, their political capital if you like and uh, that was really demonstrated today. Yeah. Um, but the thing that really irks me is that the National Party um, was really trying to demonstrate as though they were fighting up they were sticking up for, for farmers. And that is just, you know, they have abandoned farmers, they've abandoned regional communities. This was all about mining companies, all about um, loggers and developers and big business interests. And that's who the National Party now represents.
1: Yes. Well, um, you know, they're, 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 they're not uh, adverse to a bit of shameless misrepresentation of themselves and what they're on about. But re- representing re- they've certainly shamelessly misrepresented what this SEP is about. Can you Tell us what does the new koala protection regulation set out to achieve, and how does that operate? So, did the...
2: yeah, okay. So, the what the um, what the inquiry into koala populations and their habitat found was that the old SEP, which was called SEP forty four, was kind of while it had kind of good intentions, if you like, when it was first developed. Its implementation was really poor. Um, There were a few things in relation to that. One of them was the number of feed trees, koala feed trees. The science had really developed uh, in the years since that old SEP was first developed. So the number of feed trees um, were increased, which Mm -hmm. is really good. Mm -hmm. And also a a number of other things changed, including the definition of core koala habitat. So um, uh, one of the things that we found during the inquiry, however, was that the koala plans of management that councils, um, you know, were encouraged to uh, to to implement were being stalled within the Department of Planning. Mm. Right. So in some ways, you had to have the you have to have the political will, and if the koala plans of management aren't enforced, then set forty four, the old one. Uh, didn't apply anyway Mm. and what was quite frustrating was that we had government members who would come before the committee and say we're doing everything we've got this fantastic set 44 in place it protects koalas and it's like well hang on the vast majority of the state isn't covered by that and koala um, habitat can still be cleared now Mm. and surprise
1: surprise the koala population was dropping off a cliff
2: That's right, Mm. exactly. So with this new uh, guideline, so we don't think it's perfect. Environmental NGOs, including like the Environmental Defender's Office in their submission, uh, also doesn't think it's perfect. But it's an improvement. Mm. But let me be really clear with this. So for example, with development, Yes developer developers have to um, you know minimize the impact of uh, minimize the impact on koala habitat they need to look at how to put in place best practice measures all of these different things but ultimately they can offset destruction of koala habitat if they argue enough that They've done everything they can, and they absolutely have to destroy this core koala habitat. Mm. Of course, um, you know their their development could be approved based on that. And the koala inquiry found that offsets themselves for core koala habitat should be you know not um, should be banned. Uh, we should not be clearing core koala habitat. This koala set the new koala set will still ultimately allow that it will make it harder sure there will be more hoops to jump through sure but ultimately um, clearing can still continue so it's not a line in the sand honestly what John Barilaro and the National Party has done this week is is um, ridiculous blustering you know an outrageous ultimatum based on a policy that will allow clearing anyway and majority of farmers can still clear under the native vegetation act mm. they've been doing it they've been doing it since the national party wound back those laws several years ago um, so the the politics of this um sean to be honest i think are, uh, the the national party is feeling under threat in certain seats from the shooters and they have decided to go hard against a particular kind of the environmental agenda of the governments as they would, you know, as they think it is, yeah.
1: Pure opportunism on the Nationals' part to try to con- sort of eke out some some relevance in, in the in the modern world.
2: Did it work though, Sean? Oh, I think it might have
1: blown up in their faces. <laughs> Most people are now looking at them as the koala killers, um, but uh, anyway, we'll see. We'll see what happens in the longer run, won't we? Yeah. I mean, in the Nats media release, announcing their intention to have their cake and eat it too by effectively putting the entire party on on the crossbench, in their words, they state that they are demanding uh, the decoupling of private native forestry from the koala sep and that rural regulated land and agricultural production should operate outside of the sep. So Barilaro is effectively suggesting that the sep should only apply in cities. I mean, wh- where do the bulk of our koalas actually live? I mean, you you chaired the committee. Are they Lip city dwellers or, or in rural areas?
3: <laughs>
2: yeah, I've got one in my little, you know, backyard in uh, Redfern in the park. <laughs> There, um, <laughs> Yes, uh, no, in fact um, I think a report by WWF And um, NCC and a bunch of environment Groups found that in fact 99% of koala habitat On private land is, um, is not protected We heard uh, Alarming evidence of The impact of private native forestry Which I know is a big issue in Northern New South Wales Absolutely. Um, And you know, basically Not having to undertake Surveys, not having to um, stop if they know they're clearing koala habitat. The the new SEP will apply. That's a good thing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if there's koala habitat on uh, uh, a property, a farmer wants to clear that for agroforestry. I mean, one of the other recommendations of the report was to look at compensating uh, farmers for this. So look at landholders that have corkoala habitat. Let's incentivise them to protect that on their land um, and hopefully, uh, you know, it would be great if the government actually came, came forward uh, along with this step at some stage and talked about greater conservation measures as well in terms of incentives.
1: Right, yeah, because it is only one measure, isn't it? And it does need to be supplemented because that is actually my next question or it relates to what are the economic benefits of protecting koalas and uh, are there ways that landholders can be properly compensated for koala protection commitments right now?
2: Yes, yeah, so well, the, the the inquiry found that there are enormous economic benefits to protecting koalas. And, in fact, um, I know that the good folk on the mid-north coast around Belagin and Coffs are actually commissioning an economic report now into the potential uh, benefits for the Great Koala National Park. And mm-hmm. I really, I'm really i hoping that that's, um, uh, that will be released in the coming months or early next year. So... Of course, uh, koalas bring—you know—they bring, you know, they bring uh, tourism into regions. Um, that's a no-brainer. Yep. Like you only have to—you only have to look at the response, <laughs> the response to Barilaro's brain snap around koalas, but also the international response to the bushfires—to realise that you know koalas are a real little money spinner, and they are in terms of their natural habitat. But the government doesn't. You know, they kind of look at things like koala hospitals, which are good. You know, we need koala hospitals, but we also need to be encouraging uh, tourism uh, where koalas are in forests. Yeah. If We don't do that enough. We could be doing a heap
3: of it.
1: Yeah. And there's a heap of other benefits aren't there for, it's not just for the koalas that uh, and or directly from the koalas that the the economic benefits flow it's the 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 larger benefits of preserving the, those forests that uh, that should be being accounted for by these uh, you know so-called representatives of rural communities. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Um, that's right. Yeah. So the the um, uh, you know the new south wales environment minister matt Keen came on this show and uh, promised to double the koala population in our state by 2050 yeah. um, you, do you think that promise has been is now you know rob stokes the planning minister and and uh, that uh, gladys berry our premier have are now four square behind that promise
2: Well, I was certainly hoping, to be honest, that all the ruckus of this week with the National Party would mean that the National Party would be taken away and out of uh, away from uh, things like forestry, away from land clearing, and basically to re- remove these key portfolios from the national party, including water, which is a, a different issue. Hmm. But of course, John Barilaro backed down. Uh, I, at this stage, it looks like all of those ministers will keep their um, portfolios. So, the government has made a few noises. I think in some of the easy pickings, you know, they have uh, looked at what they can do within the portfolios of Liberal Ministers like the Environment uh, Minister, the Planning Minister. There's a lot more the Planning Minister needs to do to protect koala habitat. There's a range of developments right across New South Wales that are on the cards right now to clear... Koala Habitat 1, for example, is in Port Stephens, Brandy Hill quarry, which is going to clear 52 hectares of core koala habitat for its Mm. extinction. That's receiving a lot of media attention, which is great. Uh, In southwest Sydney, the only chlamydia-free koala population in New South Wales is still going to have to cope with a development, lend-lease development smack bang, pretty much in the middle of some of its corridor. Um, these are all uh, resting you know, within the planning minister's ambit. There are others right across New South Wales as well. So I feel like if you look at the 42 recommendations from the koala inquiries report, yep. they've probably looked on, um, say, one and a half. Yeah, you know, right. There's still a lot to, to go. And to be honest, unless we tackle forestry head on, unless we uh, make sure that all of the core koala habitats in public native forests is protected for starters as a bare minimum, and tighten up land clearing laws. Then I, you know, I I think that key finding of uh, the koala inquiry, unfortunately, will be realised in New South Wales. Yeah,
1: right. Well, so perhaps hopefully the the Nats have not only damaged their own brand today, which I think they clearly have, but perhaps they've uh, exposed the uh, the the liberal uh, element of the coalition to the need to to demonstrate some real action if they're going to uh, going to win the uh, the credibility or keep the credibility that they may have won from that promise.
2: I certainly hope so, Sean. Mm. I also of course am worried that, A lot of the public may think that Gladys is now the koala saviour, whereas Mm. just a couple of weeks ago, everybody was possibly using the trending hashtag of recent days to describe John Barilaro, which has been koala killer. (laughs) Um, But, uh, look, I I certainly hope that they will continue to take action. We will be uh, on their case. Uh, there are so many people in New South Wales who are mobilising right now on the koala issue. It's never been so big. Mm. I've heard that from within government that the koala inquiry and its recommendations that most importantly were supported by all members of the gov- by all uh, members of the committee from the Liberal Party, National Party, and uh, and the Labor Party. Myself and AJP, mm. I've heard that that has had a big impact that we need to keep prosecuting for those recommendations to be acted upon. Uh, So, you know, I have been, sometimes I've been a little bit sceptical about the power of uh, parliamentary inquiries, and I know that the community has fatigue when it comes to engaging in the political process. But really, I think this one has made a difference because it has been the catalyst for thousands of people across New South Wales who are so passionate about koalas and you know they it's they've been we can't ignore them you know and no. the science was so clear the findings were so clear and stark and after the bushfires it's like come yeah. on like
1: so let's so do this we should wrap it up but quickly before we do what can people do today what would you be advocating listeners do now to uh, help put some backbone uh, some steel in the spine of the uh, of the new south wales government so that they can move forward with meaningful koala protection actions
2: yes great question i would do as much publicly as people are able to do so not just emailing gladys and planning minister rob stokes and environment minister matt keen Uh, although that's important, but do things like write letters to the editor, post on their Facebook pages, you know, positive, uh, encouraging statements, uh, thanking them for standing up for koalas um, against the National Party, thanking them for committing to do more on koalas and urging them to do much more. Mm. Because we all know that uh, they're not doing enough. We know that you know, loggers are getting away, Forestry Corp is getting away with outrageous breaches in koala habitat that our beautiful forests are being logged after the uh, decimation caused by the fires. So I would urge people to continue campaigning, but most importantly, uh, get out there and do it publicly, do it politely, but just have your voices heard on all of those Facebook pages, social media pages. And don't forget... As I was reminded today, don't forget letters to the editor of our papers, particularly things like Sydney Morning Herald, Daily Telegraph. Um, Make your voices heard there as well. Yep.
1: Fantastic. Look, uh, thank you so much for joining us today, Kate. That's really, really helpful. I know you're very busy, so I'll have to let you go.
2: Thanks so much, Sean. Thanks for having me. No
1: worries. Look, good luck with that uh, in the bear pit. Thank you. That was New South Wales Greens MLC, Kate Fairman. Next on Environmental Is Anything, we're glad to be able to share an interview from our sister program, Celebrating Earth and Art. That program's presenters, Meg and Peter Nielsen, are farmers. And they speak to another farmer, Sue Higginson, about the pack of untruths spread about by the koala killer faction of the New South Wales Coalition Government.
3: We're very fortunate to have uh, Sue Higginson on the line. Now, Sue is uh, an environmental lawyer. She runs her own legal practice that focuses on helping the community protect the environment through law. As part of this work, she also assists those members of the community who find themselves caught up in the criminal justice system as a result of their environmental protest activities. Sue is the former CEO and principal solicitor of the Environmental Defenders Office, where she was responsible for high-profile litigation taking on mining giants like Rio Tento and uh, Adani. Good morning, Sue. Thank you so much for joining us today. Good morning. Thank you for having me. Good morning, Sue. Morning, Pete. So it must be very frustrating for you to hear such hysterical fear-mongering from some members of the National Party in response to uh, this effort to protect koalas.
4: Yeah, look, it's, um, you know, it's really jaw-dropping in some ways. It's um, it just seems such an alarmist, outrageous call that is just not based on the legal instrument that, um, you know, is causing their, their pain. Um You know, I mean, we're talking about a state environmental planning policy that has actually been in legal effect since the 1st of March this year. Um, It was five years in the making after extensive consultation um, and it actually replaces or simply updates a few provisions of the original koala habitat SEP, which was State Environmental Planning Policy Number 44, which has been around since 1995. Wow. Um, so, you know, I mean, I, I've read the claims of some of those members of the National Party, including uh, um, Chris Galactus, the member for Clarence, who's, you know, threatened to cross the floor and sit with the, um, the, the, the other side, so to speak. Um,
3: Very disappointing.
4: Yeah, yeah. And, you know, look, it, it, what... What I think is quite telling is you've got members of his own government um, sort of saying that, you know, you're really not basing this claim in fact or in evidence here. Um, We've seen, um, you know, the Upper House Liberal MP Catherine Cusack um, saying that, you know, John Barilaro, who who is championing Chris Galactus' cause here... Mm. um, should step aside because yeah. basically he's now threatening the government. He's stepped outside of the cabinet process. He's putting, in his uh, her words, a gun to the premier when she's mm. trying to fight a pandemic. Yeah. Um, and interestingly, her her line is where, which I think is um, really accurate, is his judgment is so impaired. This simply can't continue. Um, and I think you know it, what's interesting is Catherine Cusack is. One of the people who have travelled the state on the inquiry into koala populations and has an incredible first hand knowledge and experience of the evidence from so many independent experts from around the state um, who have presented on, you know, the dire situation of koalas and the fact that If we don't do something um they're likely to be extinct in the wild in by 2050 which is you know less than 30 years away now
0: yeah yeah it's frightening it appears appears. so somebody's been in their ear, pressuring them to to now make this take this stance um that that appears to be the way it works um would you would you think that would happen
4: yeah look and it's you know it's very hard to understand precisely where it would be coming from you know, we're seeing a pitch that this is coming from farmers who are sick of being dictated to by inner city greens, I greenies or something. I saw that statement. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, I, I, I mean, yeah, I, I am not hearing or seeing farmers across the landscape waving their arms around saying, unfair, stop, stop. I've certainly seen um, the head of the New South Wales Farmers Association. Um, but even his claim, his claim from what I can properly hear and understand is, okay, look, if we are taking um, a sort of planning policy approach, which which is interesting because we're continuing it, we're not taking it as a new approach, then we ought to be offering um, sort of more incentives around how we manage koala habitat, which which. I don't think there is anybody in New South Wales that would disagree with that. I think we categorically ought to be assisting landholders to look after koala habitat in the landscape. And, in fact, we have schemes under um, the complement of environmental programs across New South Wales that goes, in some part, to doing this. So, uh, 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 you know, to your question, Pete, it's very hard to actually see or understand where this is rooted or coming from. And it leads me to speculate that there may well be some other political motivation, or perhaps there's some other bargain that has to happen between um, on, on part of the National Party and the current government, because it certainly is not played out um, in, the as, in the landscape amongst farmers and the farming community, it's certainly not playing out in the words of the policy. The changes, um, you know, are are, are actually not changes that are so significant that um, the claims that it is paralysing agriculture and taxing farmers, I mean, that just isn't borne out in the planning policy.
0: There appears to be no farmers at all within the National Party with the farming background, of farming knowledge. Uh, that's, that's sort of... I, I couldn't name one. Um, you know, every... And they're talking about sort city greenies. Every farmer on the planet should be environmentally aware, if you want to call that a greenie. That's our, that's our job, to be aware of the productivity and sustainability into the future. and And this attitude of... Of um, I bought it. I paid for it. I do it. alike, that. That's absolute ignorance. You, you, we're gone in the blink of an eye, and what what we do now, what we leave behind, uh, is it must must t- we must take guidance on on how we do that? Uh,
4: uh, absolutely, and I you know, um, I yeah, I've been working with the agricultural rural, rural sector sector for decades in relation to environmental laws and. Um, you know, as you say, we the bulk of agricultural communities are working um, as stewards to protect their landscape um, and, and as we are becoming more and more informed about how our landscape functions and as information is becoming more readily available to the agricultural sector, we're learning that increased biodiversity on farms increases productivity and you know, we've been engaging in this discussion through uh, local land services and our land care organisations, etc., for two decades now.
0: Yeah.
4: Um, it's very hard to understand why. I, I mean, look, I, um, I, I think um, independent MLC Justin Field, a member of the New South Wales Upper House, when um, John Barilaro and Chris Galactus first went public with this, um, you know, claim that they're making and their plan to defect from the party's um, direction or the government's direction, Justin said on Twitter, um, well, this is where the New South Wales nationals draw the line, protecting the right to cut down koala habitat. Mm. Must be a proud moment, John Barilaro. You know, (laughs) and in some ways uh, 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 it does, when you boil down, it really does sum up, uh, uh, I do sincerely think the National Party really does need to do a bit of soul-searching at the moment because, uh, you know, I mean, I've been representing farmers in the northwest for years who are fighting the encroachment of large coal mines and gas developments onto their farmlands and I can assure you they're not getting the assistance that they have been asking for from the National Party. Um, so it, it, I think we are at a point where, you know, ooh, the National Party needs to really reflect on, well, whose interests really are we advocating for at the moment when we say we're the Nats? Um, I couldn't help but um, wonder and have a quick look at Chris Galactus's background and, and, and well, is he a farmer? Has he come from a farming background? And you're right, Pete. I mean, he's essentially, he's a valuer and his background is in valuing and... and um, Uh, Ordinarily, the core work of a valuer is subdividing and cutting up agricultural land for the purpose of development. Um, Mm. I mean, amongst other things. Mm. So, you know, I I do wonder where the um, representation for farmers and the farming community who, as we all know at the moment, are calling out for action on climate change, better protection for biodiversity and real incentives for protecting biodiversity on land. Farmers everywhere are looking for schemes that they can be involved in to manage their land for biodiversity and receive, um, you know, a, a, a return for that. And if, I, I really wish that if the nationals could just really understand and reconnect with the agricultural contemporary community now, they would be standing high and saying, come on, government, let's, let's invest more in the protection of koala habitat and other biodiversity um, on farm and agricultural land. And I'm just not hearing that call. Um, I think there's a big, big gap there for the nationals to really take a proactive stance on assisting farmers at the moment.
0: I'm, I'm totally disappointed with with that attitude. Uh, I, I expect from the old school. Um the country party, now the nationals, where, where it was about the genuine farmer, not agribusiness that wants to extract every last dollar, like the, from the land and then walk away, but but a genuine concern for the next generation and the productivity of that land, and that and we've seen with the the pandemic and this is all, all revolves around animals and the manner in which we farm. And uh, that's all incorporated in, in protecting native species as well. Um, we, we really have to pick... We're at a turning point. We really have to pick our act up and it's got to start with leadership from mm. uh, from um, these parties in power and, and the, the debacle that's happening at the moment is not leadership. It's, it's a bun fight.
3: I think yeah. you make a very good point, Sue, um, that this is exactly where the National Party could excel and show that they do... Represent the farmers in the community instead of making scurrilous claims as they have done over this issue if they were as you say to to push for um, Greater subsidies for farmers to protect their natural habitat um, What a good thing that would be and farmers would really embrace that and realize that uh, that the National Party do support farmers, but as it is, I mean, Chris just talks now about crossing the floor over this issue, but uh, he refused absolutely to cross the floor uh, or even raise any objection when the community tried to keep the gas industry out of the northern rivers.
4: Yes, absolutely. So I, I think underlying all of this really is the, I think um, the, the nationals have lost focus of the true economic value of the family um, the family farm, as you are saying, Pete, what we've mm. been... I think the economics of big um, agribusiness, the economics of big gas and the economics of big coal, which we've seen is a short-term outlook for economic stability. What we've done is we're trading off the the value of the economic um, strength and backbone of the family farm, which is, uh, you know, at various scales. Obviously, I'm talking large family farms, small family farms. There's a whole economic scale within that. But really, that is precisely where the Nats really ought to, and every party right now ought to be maintaining focus, because it is the economic... It's the backbone Mm. of agricultural economics is these... um, family farms or or farming businesses that are able to adapt to changing environments, changing climates and changing economic circumstances, including where we're experiencing this pandemic at the moment. Um, The resilience is really in those adaptable um, scale operations of agriculture. So I'm not sure who's informing their economic policy. And as you say, um, Meg, really the the, the scope right now for advocacy is, you know, I mean, we have the Biodiversity Conservation Trust. Mm, There's millions yeah. and millions of dollars in that program to provide landholders as, with incentives to manage land. What we need to be doing is making that a attractive commercial proposition for farmers, yeah. not just, a, oh, well, we'll pay your local government rates this, this year or not even quite that. Mm. We need to be... The same as we do when we're entertaining these giant... Um, businesses like coal mines, et cetera, yeah. we look at what the real cost of incentive is to, to, to undertake these operations. Um, and right now, challenging a state environmental planning policy, which really all it's doing is providing a um, clearer definition of what is called koala habitat, providing a stronger incentive on local councils and local governments around the state to have a comprehensive koala management plan so that when um, developers, land developers, want to lodge a development application, we've got a clearer understanding of the status of the koala habitat. I mean, I, I don't understand... How this is really even impacting um, on farmers? What were, uh, 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 in the context of what Barilaro and Galactus is saying? Mm. Certainly, it will have an impact on private native forestry operations, and you will not be able to undertake a private native logging operation on private land where it's core koala habitat. But the, the reality is, you can't do that now. So <laughs> I don't, <laughs> I don't really understand where this outrage is coming from. Mm. Um, allowable activities, which are those um, um, activities that rural, um, agricultural activities that you undertake it within your agricultural operation, remain completely unaffected by yeah. the koala sep.
3: Yeah. I just want to talk to you just for a moment. I'll, I'll tell you what, I'll... Um, going back to that koala sep, I just want to read you Chris Galactus' Facebook post... Um, which I found very disappointing. He says, I want to put on record that I do not support the new Koala Habitat Protection, State Environment Protection Policy, uh, planning policy, that was introduced by the New South Wales Government in March this year. So that's rather a pity that he didn't vote against it in um, in Parliament uh, when it went to law. Uh, it seems that... Um, is more interested in just voting with the party, and now that his uh, leader John Barilaro is um, getting um, um, cranky about it, he has decided to change his mind. Now that this is the, this is the real classic one. This is the classic bit. The irony is this is what Chris Galactus says in his Facebook page. We have. Koalas in this region because we have protected them for the past 200 years Now what uh, Chris Galaptus seems to have missed and it does show his ignorance on the issue is that for 150 years We actually We actually hunted koalas and exported them for their pelts So it was only in 1948 that the American government, uh, American president, the U.S. president, st- stood up and decided that this industry should stop. Otherwise, for goodness knows how long we'd have been hunting and exporting koala pelts. This is this to me illustrates the ignorance of um, Chris Koala, uh, Chris Galactus's. Um, post and illustrates the fact that he really should do his homework before challenging um, a policy which has been many, many years in the making, which has been scientists and ecologists working with government to try and come up with the best way, the most efficient way to protect our koala habitat.
0: A statement by a non-farmer on behalf of farmers, um He's a surveyor, it's nothing to do with farming activities and um, I think you'll find the majority of farmers um, would, would protect. And this is, yeah, a statement by a non-farmer.
3: And yet, he claims to be speaking for his farmers, and he claims to be speaking for his community. Just
0: divisive.
3: Mm. It is divisive, and uh, and it's 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 ill founded. It's misinformation. This basically misinformation from beginning to end. This policy does not um, it does not impact regional communities at all. It simply means that when one prepares a DA. To clear land or something similar, you have to work with the um, with your local council to discuss the implications for any koala population that happens to be on that piece of land. No more, no less.
0: This has come from lobbyists that I've seen at party meetings from sawmilling interests uh, in his ear for financial gain, not for... Mm not for protecting that, that, that thousand endangered species we spoke of.
3: Mm. So he says, In the event of no positive outcome is achieved, I'm prepared to move to the crossbench. I will still be a member of the New South Wales Nationals, but the New South Wales government cannot rely on my vote for every piece of legislation introduced into the House. Now, when we were fighting against the gas, Chris Galaptus would not join his community and cross the floor and many other issues. This has been the same thing. This is just nonsense to be putting poor Premier Gladys Berejiklian, who's trying to struggle with the COVID um, outbreak, uh, putting her under such pressure and let's face it, just bullying her, bullying her to change a policy that is going to benefit the whole community. He is representing the people who shout. He's representing the bullies at the extractive industries that are in his community. And we have seen this consistently over many, many years in the party as members of the National Party, which we used to be. I'm looking forward to Chris Galaptus coming on the program to debate this issue and uh, talk about why he has chosen to make this stance and threaten the premier of New South Wales? One
4: of the um, one of the other things about the claim, which um, you know, just try- trying to debunk where it, it, the myth or, or the um, you know the misinformation that this alarmist um, reaction, um, the you know the Nat MP said, Chris Galactus has said. Um, you know the under these new rules we've increased the number of tree species that we protect from 10 to 123 um, and it's you know even that very basic claim and allegation is so false and incorrect what we've done um, is we have simply added to the list of koala spe- koala tree species and we haven't increased it to 123. what we've actually done, is um, identified the species within each bioregion that we've declared, so the northern rivers or or the northern area, the south coast, the central west. And, for example, here in the north coast, which covers Chris's um, area of the Clarence and his sea... We've increased the, the the species list to forty four, not one hundred and twenty three. He's <laughs> counting the list as in the whole of New South Wales, but <laughs> it, it's just not true. You know, the trees that are koala trees on the south coast of New South Wales are not the same koala trees in the north coast. And you know, I find that um, I find that um, ignorance. Um, And misinformation around the science of protecting koala habitat, incredibly frustrating and it's very um, telling in my mind. I, I look at something as simple as that and I say, okay, if you've got something as simple and clear as that, as incorrect as you have, and you are claiming your position on that... Then really, I am concerned about the credibility and reliability of his information and how he's been briefed.
0: That's deliberate, though. That, that would have been deliberate, and just to um, misinform.
3: Yeah, yeah. No, that's right. I mean, it is deliberate. This is what disturbs me so much. It is deliberate, uh, deliberately inciting members of his. Um, you know, of his uh, um, electorate, say, and his supporters, uh, to um, to stir up trouble. It, you know, mm-hmm. uh, I, either that, or he abs- absolutely is um, incapable of, of doing his homework on a on a project before he uh, votes or, or or votes against it.
0: And while we yeah. we have this debate about about this issue, everyone's forgetting the the IPCC. are telling us to stop deforestation the um, Best science in the world. Hundred of the best science, scientists in the world in forty countries. We're part. We're a major contributor to the IPCC. Stop deforestation of old growth forests, and that goes by the wayside. You know, we're having a whole debate on another issue, but um, oh, it's, it's so frustrating that. Um, yeah, it's. It, I mean, you're right.
4: If, if we can't, if we can't clearly understand the, um, you know, the need to protect koalas in the local environment and what that entails by the particular identification of sort of 40 trees. How the heck are we
3: expected,
4: um, you know, to be able to properly um, have our Members of Parliament understand the need um, and understand the data that the IPCC's findings are all based upon. It, it's very, very frustrating.
0: Yeah, we're, we're putting money ahead of everything else is is a big mistake. We're mm. we're in a comp, a complex environment, and we're part of it. and um, And you, you put money first, that it doesn't. It's not going to work that way. Not anymore, anyway. We're at, mm. I think we're at a turning point. This whole pandemic issue is um, is is a wake up call. But do we do we take the wake up call?
4: And look, you know, on that point, you know, this is something that I know in my law practice over years now. um, The way we view economics is taking on a very new meaning as well. Um, You know, it's actually not economic. It's not sound economics to be harming the environment to the extent that we are. It is sound economics to be investing in the environmental protection so that we have resilience, whether that is for our own human health or for the health of the resources upon which we rely. So even the economics now have caught up to the um, in the sort of framework of unsustainability. And, um, you know, we're seeing that... I, I, I mean, we can see what happened, has happened with the economics of coal, and we can see that, you know... We're not even getting a viable price at Newcastle anymore because of the the, the truth in the economics of coal has caught up. Um, so you know we're seeing that around, and I, I, I agree. I think it's terribly frustrating where we are in this complex environment, complex social fabric, complex economy, and that we, we the, the elements are not marrying, not properly married at this point in time in a healthy way, but. Um, you know, I mean, it's a, it, 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 Chris, is, uh, I think that we are caught... There's an ideology here that keeps playing out. Um, one of the lines in today's Sydney Morning Herald or yesterday's article from Chris Galactus was where he said... I was elected to parliament to represent my community. And I get really annoyed when city-centric people preach to us, especially when people (laughs) in Sydney have done nothing for their koalas. Um, It's just not helping. It's such an unhelpful... I mean, farmers rely on our community colleagues in cities and cities rely on their colleagues in the country. And I'm so... of this unsophisticated divide. We're all in this together.
2: Um,
4: And, you know, no greater time than now in this pandemic to show that it's time to engage in a politics of understanding, kindness, collaboration and, you know, protecting each other. So I I just, I honestly think that Chris Galactus and John Barilaro, are playing this very, very dangerously. It's not good politics, it's not good community and it's definitely not good for the environment and as for our poor koalas, mm. um, they don't even have a voice in it, do they? So mm.
0: The, the us um, and them mentality is, is really addressing ignorant people, isn't it? Uh, most people are above that and to re- to resort to that, you know, it's us and them and it's... Um, Oh, it, it, it's, it's mind blowing in this day and age. We're, we're, we're this is a serious issue, and we're playing the divisive games. Um, yes. That's not what politicians are there for.
4: And um, the thing, the thing that I'm finding very perplexing is that you know this this policy and um, the broader policy around protection of koalas, namely the introduction of some new national parks. This is actually all driven by Chris Scalaptus' and John Barillaro's government. So that's where, um, you know, it's not like this is some extreme claim or policy direction being set by the other side of politics, so Mm -hmm. to speak. Um, This is coming from the centre of their own government and their own politics. So uh, I think, and I wish that, the um, premier and the ministers responsible would call this out for what it is: it yeah. is divisive, dangerous, ideological politics.
3: You
0: know, Yeah,
3: yeah. destabilising their own government,
0: especially yeah. in this in this time at this point in time. Um, we're, we're at a dangerous turning point, and um, we need to improve, pick our act up. And I, I, it's good to see that um, that investment is going ahead, despite the government in. in the energy sector. Um, people are realising that the uh, the money will be made from cleaner energy supplies, and um, and uh, the coal and gas is pretty a thing of the past. And we have to look to the future. And and uh, the same has got to be done with the farming sector. Uh, regenerative agriculture is is uh, is going big time at the moment, and um, people are realising that. You know, we've got really got to pick our act up there. That involves yeah, Carbon and capture as well.
4: That's right, and it's in, it's the saddest part about this when we see these divisive responses is it's just holding back the excitement and the opportunity that these um you know wicked times are, are presenting to us. Yeah, you know, damn. some of these. I mean, you do you look at um as you know to, to mention the uh, regen ag sector, um you know the. Ex- the, the the excitement and the energy that is happening in that sector, and the advances that are being made, and the pride that we are seeing restored back into the agricultural community through these the, uh, um, land-based grassroots movements, are you know they are fantastic. It's where the hope is, and it's where you know when we're communicating to our grandchildren, um, you know we can we, we, we all feel hopeful and excited and then you've sort of got this and, you know, yes. and, and just a bit of a drag um, it if, is. It wasn't, if it wasn't so harmful and it wasn't so desperate as you say pete where if we were further back down the road from the point of species decline and our faunal extinction crisis that you know the Commonwealth, the Senate, has just had an entire inquiry into our formal extinction crisis. And, Mm. you know, in no uncertain terms, it is, we are on the trajectory of an extinction crisis. The evidence presented to that inquiry from some of the scientists uh, three weeks ago, I was tuned in and listened to some of the presentation evidence there. And... You know, it's the sort of thing that you really do want to cover your grandkids' ears. You don't want them to hear um, mm. some of that evidence. So if it wasn't so dire in terms of the timing, we could... You know, I would certainly find a lot more humour in all of this. But, um mm. Mm. yeah, that, which, you know, ultimately when you close your eyes at night, I, I, I look to the Chris Galaptuses and the John Barilaros right now and say, goodness gracious, you know, this is... This is not fair, and mm. it's um, not sound to be behaving
0: like this in these mm. times. Mm. There should be a bipartisan response at this stage of the game uh, from, from all politicians. And uh, just, the Trouble is, we don't get the, the very best people in in politics. You've you got to put up with the rubbish that goes on in Parliament. We need and, more uh, people
3: like Matt, uh, Matt Keane.
0: Yeah, Matt Keane is mm. a good statement there mm. this morning on uh, hydrogen, uh, which... You know, I, I can see with with the amount of agriculture and transport and, and and diesel use in Australia that hydrogen could be play a big part, and we could, we could be the example for the rest of the world, mm. um, and and also provide a lot of hydrogen with our, with our solar power. Um, it, it it is the future, and um, he he's he's a good man in in the Liberal Party, and this is a standout anyway.
4: He, he Look, everything that I am seeing from... Um, you know Matt Keane's portfolio he is generating he, something has happened there he is engaged in the politics of hope and yes. opportunity yeah.
2: um,
4: whether it's because he's recently be, you know the father of a young child I don't know <laughs> <laughs> I, I sometimes engage in these pop psychology theories and wonder why somehow, some are some ways unable to read the science and, and and deliver and engage in the politics of sort of hope and kindness and opportunity and and then the other um, are literally just standing there trying to tear, the
3: tear everything down up
4: in front mm-hmm. of them. It's yeah, extraordinary.
3: So... Look, look, we've been very naughty. Look, look. At, have you seen the time? Yeah, I am was... so sorry, <laughs> Sue. <laughs> no, I'm so grateful for the both
4: opportunity both and thank <laughs> you. And I think you're right, Pete, in the sense that it, you know we are at a real pointy edge here. I think it's um, you know the Nats have clearly managed to bully this. Koala set back into Cabinet. Gladys, the Premier, has said that, yep, we'll reconsider it. The Planning Minister, um, you know, and and look, incidentally, the Planning Minister is an incredibly um, well-qualified environmental lawyer. He's not, um, he's an expert in his field. He understands the operations of these laws. But he has said, look, happy to engage with anybody if it's relating to the science upon which this policy is based, Mm. namely, Mm. um, you know, our koalas are in dire straits. I mean, the evidence that we've just been hearing now with with a a minimum of 10,000, a third of all New South Wales koala populations have perished since September last year through that prolonged drought and bushfire period. And we know here on the North Coast, you know, three quarters of koalas in the northern area of the state um, have been wiped out. And some areas, populations have been annihilated. They're gone. Mm-hmm. Uh, whether they'll mm-hmm. return because of fire, we, do, we we just can't say at this point. So, I mean, we either we either collaborate as a community with an, a full effort to do what we can to reverse the um trend of extinction of this iconic species um or you know we allow the entire system to get caught up in some strange national party ideological culture war that seems to be happening yeah
3: it is extraordinary
1: are you looking for the courage to face the hard facts about our environmental crises do you want honest reporting on the global solutions that are at our fingertips would you like to know what simple, effective local actions you can take to make a positive difference to the state of the world today? Tune in to Environmental as Anything on 92.9 River FM every Saturday from 2 to 5 for all the news, interviews, and analysis you need to make the future you want. For the future, we're hand in hand. Jumby,